think the biggest thing that I point out every week is we can edit. So if something happens where you know you want to you want to restart a sentence or whatever, do that. I'm I'm a one take wonder. Okay. All right, welcome to Your Why, a Chapelwood podcast. I am your host, Evan Nairing. I want to welcome Joseph Clam on. He is our first rotating co-host, and so the way that we're hoping the podcast will work from this point forward is that we'll have different people from the church come on and be a co-host with me, and they'll be rotating with by week. And so our first one here is Joseph Clam. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. This is going to be uh, a lot of fun today. We have a great interview, and uh, I think all the listeners will really enjoy it. I agree. I think John was amazing. That's We're going to be interviewing John. I'm going to butcher his last name again, and you'll hear this in the interview as well, Natalaski. That's so wrong. Yeah, our guest today is John Nadolski. Uh, he is the Senior Director of Church Engagement. Yeah. So as you can tell, I butchered that pretty hard. Great interview coming forward. But for the listener, the rare listener that doesn't know who Joseph Clam is, maybe you can fill them in on who you are and what you do. Yeah, I serve currently here at Chapelwood as the executive pastor of discipleship, basically working on the day-to-day ministry operations and vision of the the ministries here on the Green Bay campus, which would include your children's, students, adult discipleship, which also would include local global serving and worship. And so I've been on staff for 23 years. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is our second episode, so, you know, we're still... Who was your co-host for the first episode? Uh, it was me. <laughs> oh, is that why there's a co-host now? Or <laughs> uh, Yeah, that, we, we listened back and we're like, yeah, that's the... <laughs> no one wants to listen to just me talk. <laughs> you did a good job today. I thought that your questions really opened the door for John to be able to speak into his personal why, to speak also into the why of the organization of Living Water International. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, that's what I'm desiring out of this podcast is you know to come in and look at the three whys, or the personal why, the organization's why, and then also challenging the viewer's why and for them to find that if they haven't found that. One of the things I think is great about this opportunity, this platform, is we can bring someone in. It's one thing to have an article written about a partner organization, but it's another to be able to actually put some inflection, <laughs> if you will, uh, and some tone to that story. Uh, for him to be able to read the story from the 52-year-old mother in Guatemala, that letter would not have been able to have been written without Chapelwood's faithfulness in pursuing that opportunity. Uh, and so I appreciate the fact that uh, it wasn't just a forward of an email of, hey, Chapelwood, thanks for being our partner. And, but it was actually able to be read. You know, for, for the listeners, you couldn't see, but John's physical response to reading that letter, there, there was both the sense of, of pride and joy of, 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 wow, we continue to make a difference, but also of gratitude of being able to read that to representatives of Chapel. I love the, the platform to be able to do the, the back and forth and the dialogue. I thought John brought a lot to the to the table and really uh, created some opportunities for me to, to think deeper. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, this idea kind of started to come into my mind whenever I, you know, I step on the job back in June and one of the first things Suzanne tells me about is, hey, go and meet with, you need to meet with all of our partners. And you need to sit down, you need to hear from them what that would look like with Chapelwood, what it's going to look like in the future. 
And so within my first couple of weeks, I have all these lunches and meetings with all these people. And I mean, I'm just blown away by the stories they tell, what their organization is doing and how Chapwood has had to impact there. And I'm like, man, people need to hear about this. That gave me more of a fire, more of a passion for what we're doing here, hearing those actual stories. I agree. I think this is a great platform. I think it's different reading something as compared to actually hearing people talk about it and hearing the emotion and the voices. Yeah, so I believe once you hear this and hear the interview, I, I think that there's going to be some some nuggets that folks pull out and hold on to for, for longer than the time they've given to, to listen to it. So I think it's going to be well worth their time. All right, we're going to go ahead and cut to the interview with John now. Enjoy it. So... We are here with John. How me pronounce your last name again? John Nadolski. John Nadolski. And so tell us about your role. You work for Living Water International. Tell us about that. Living Water International is here because we want to bring water for life in Jesus' name. And we do this since 1990. We started right here in Houston. And actually, a group of people from a church in Sugarland, Texas, got together and they went to Kenya with the vision of starting some kind of water ministry, and it grew and it evolved. And with the generosity and the blessings from God, we've been now working in 17 countries around the world. Oh, that's it, awesome. It, it's, it's a neat. Yeah. So what's your role at Living Water? My role is to help Living Water be a resource to the church. I help with church engagement. Okay. For example, there's about 200 churches right here in the greater Houston area that actively partner with Living Water. And that's, it's a lot of fun just to be able to, to come in and help the, listen to what their goals and vision is for missions and outreach and then see where the overlap is that we can be a blessing to them and, and help the church to fill their role in missions. In this first part of the interview, we just kind of want to dive into your why you know, this cha- this podcast is called Your Why. It's something we really like to focus on with the people we bring in, why you're involved in this ministry, what brought you to that point, what was that journey like, why you're passionate about what you're doing. Neat question. Thanks. For me, my background is water development. I went to school for it. I have 20 years experience doing water development, in the, mainly in the Rocky Mountains and the Sierra Nevada. Along the way, I started doing short-term mission trips with a group that was training people how to drill wells, fix pumps, teach hygiene, and, and they always shared the love of Jesus while they did that. And as I was getting organized and getting involved, God gave me this one verse. He said, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And it literally knocked me down to my knees to say out loud what the desire of my heart was. And I said, I want to serve with these ministries. And that's the blessing, that's the promise that I started with. At the time, I was just looking at going on a mission trip. But that mission trip became a couple mission trips, which got me more involved. And and I saw the heart change that was going on with me and my family to do this. So actually, 20 years ago last month, in July of 1999, we had quit our job, sold our house, and we got commissioned and sent off by our home church to go full-time. So what does a person who pursues a degree in water development do if they're not in a nonprofit? What was your desire going into college, coming out with a degree like that? It made, Water made sense to me. It was a combination of forestry with watershed management of civil engineering with design of how you design things to be stable so they don't 
cause erosion or get eroded out in a big storm? And then geology, where do you find the water? So it's one of those things that fit for me. It made sense to me. It was an easy gig for me to do. There was a, a lot of environmental permitting with it. And I got involved with a lot of environmental permit, but I was also have a civil engineering background. So I was able to uh, design the structures, the runoff control, the sediment control structures. I ran the civil engineering and hydrology department at a coal mine in Wyoming. I was there long enough to do the environmental side. So it was a, a career path that was going to keep me doing this for the until I retired. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Has this been something, whenever you were a kid or even in college, like, was this ever anything you thought you'd be doing? No. This was, <laughs> I did not expect to be in missions. I, I kind of like the idea of being outside the office. And so my first degree is in forestry, and I thought it was going to be in forestry, but there was no jobs in forestry, so I had to find something that was going to blend that. So my goal was just to be a, a good at what I was doing. The idea of missions work actually came from my son. My oldest son uh, asked if he can go on a mission trip with the church to Venezuela. And I was like, yeah. And he came back changed. And he came back with great stories of how he saw God at work. And that's when I started saying, well, if he's going on mission trips, maybe it's time for me to look at going on mission trips too. I think it's really cool. Um, I mean, I haven't been in full-time ministry long, but in the conversations I have had, and even in college, I think the people who are in full-time ministry, and especially missions, none of them really thought this is what I want to do. <laughs> none of them had planned, like, hey, I'm going to go work on missions for the my rest of my life or stuff like that. And this, like, 180 turn that happens in their life. It's sweet. You talked about a 180 turn. I don't think my life was a 180 turn. I started getting more involved in we were just like every other family that you had a balance between having an enough time and having enough money. We were a growing family. We didn't always have enough time. We didn't always have enough money. And as I wanted to do more and more of these volunteer trips, it got to the point that it was just easier for me to quit and go full-time than try to find more time to volunteer. So it wasn't a 180. It was, this is really productive and effective, and it's changing my heart. I see this as a promise from God that he has given, but it wasn't totally different than what I was doing in my home church. I started getting involved through my home church, and I, that's where I see missions as a feedback to the home churches. Those who go on short-term mission trips tend to come back looking for more ways to get plugged into their home church, and that's, that's a really good thing. I think part of that has to do, John, with if when you tap into that part of yourself that was created to serve others and you realize that there is a deep satisfaction and a fulfillment mm -hmm. about being who God created us to be. And we know that God's created us to be in relationship and communion with those. We know that God established the law of love to love God and to love our neighbor because we were created to be able to fulfill that. And so there's something deeply fulfilling about going and, and seeing love in action, if you will. I, so I agree. I think when folks go on short-term missions, they come back and realize, yeah, there's something about that. And it may, it may be that they can't even articulate it. I am appreciative that you were not only able to 
articulate what that was, but that you were also able to sense that God was calling you to a deeper level of that of that service. It seems like your career path was always a career path about about others, whether it was environmental protection uh, or whether it was about how to get water and, and make it safe. And so it seems like it was a natural transition to also view that as a call that God may have placed on your heart. The idea of using the training I had in my God-given heart and talents makes sense to me. And this might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but Jim Collins had a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he talked about the hedgehog theory, where what are you really good at? What do you really have a passion for and where you can make a living? And that's a style of that I taught the three boys that I raised. And when I challenge them about what they want to do in their life, it's like, what are you really good at? Where do you have a passion? And don't forget, you got to make a living. Mm. And I, I've pursued that, that style through most of my life. And that where the passion is changes over time, and it moves that sweet spot to a different place. But that still, um, we want to be effective. We want to do what you're good at, do what you have a passion for, it's, it's a blessing to be able to do it and, and make a living as well. So what do you think is one or, or a couple of the factors that keeps others from stepping in to experience how God might use those God-given skills and passions for a kingdom purpose, if you will? We went through that as a family. My wife, when I went and talked to her about this and we prayed together about this and said, can we do this in a full-time way? She had three kids she was raising. She didn't want to just uproot them and chase my midlife crisis into a different area and a different city, town, and, and career. She wanted some trust that this was going to be a God thing that we were pursuing, and she wanted time. She asked if we would take seven years to go from the point of having the idea and praying about the idea to the time of doing it. So it wasn't a quick turnaround, and I've talked yeah. to lots of people since then. The idea of taking seven years is really unusual. It's usually done in one, two, three years. Yeah. Ours, in my case, it was a long process to get my wife to go on board. Uh, just like what you were saying earlier, of I think if people can't say this as a 180 term, but really you look back and you see how God has slowly equipped you for it. You know, you had a passion for all this stuff, and you got degrees, and things that would eventually equip you to do what you're doing. And I think that is so cool. And I think that's something that people can miss out on in the moment of thinking, why is God having me go through this? Or maybe they're getting a degree in something that they don't necessarily aren't passionate about, but they're like, I feel like God's calling me to this degree. And you don't know down the line how that might impact what God has called you to down the road. And I think, you know, it's having that patience. I mean, seven years is a long time, but you don't know, you know, I think what God is bringing you to in that is a lot better than rushing into it. You've got to have that patience to see God is, you know, slowly equipping you to do what he's called you to do. Doing this full-time for 20 years is really taught us a lot, and we look forward to seeing how it unfolds this year, next year, and the years after. So our goal is to, at Living Water and personally, to be a resource to the church. Personally, I when God asked me to, when I had that discussion with God of what's my future look like, and this is probably 
10, 12 years ago. What impressed me was I wanted to be part of the team that brings clean water and the love of Jesus to every village in the world, which is a big goal. So the next question in the questionnaire was, well, how do you measure that? I said, well, I guess we measured by the number of people we give access to clean water to. And he said, well, what's the number? And I thought I was going to write down a million people because a million people sounded like a big number to me. But God had me write down a one in seven zeros. And it quickly was like, the Lord, what do you, 10 million people is a huge number. And that still small voice in the back of the head said, you've already passed a million. Why would I give you something you've already done? Mm-hmm. So I keep trying to be part of that team that brings clean water and the love of Jesus to every village in the world. I, I would note that we do we do want folks to listen and and consider where God may be calling them. I want to note, even though it took John and his family seven years to move into full-time, there were steps along the way. Yeah. People, you don't need to wait seven years to make a decision and yeah. do the first step. There's plenty of opportunities to find ways to share God's love yeah. in your corner of the world. Exactly. Yeah. All right, we're going to move into the second part. I want to introduce a new segment here on the podcast that we are dubbing the Funny Bone of Christ. We'll be playing a little fun game. Hopefully you enjoy this. I have gone and through the website, this is not a sponsor, but through Symmetrics.com, which is like this water company. They have compiled 100 Amazing Water Facts is what they titled it. And so I'm going to read uh, three at a time. Two of them are true facts. One of them is false. I'm going to ask both of you to put your input in on which one you think is false after I read it. John, just know I, I have not seen the, these facts before. When we're off the air, I'll tell you what the definition of a hydrologist is. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So first set of facts. Uh, the first one is 68.7% of fresh water is trapped in glaciers right now. Second fact. of the world's water is frozen and unusable. Third fact, 30% of fresh water is in the ground. You want the expert to go first, John? I mean... I I know how I would answer. Verbally or... No. (laughs) I was going to let you answer first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the first one uh, is a lie. Okay. I I I agree with you. Well... Uh, that was actually a truth. Um, We're both wrong. So I agree with you. We are both <laughs> wrong. <laughs> the, the one that was a lie was the second fact that 1% of the world's water is frozen and usable. It's actually 1.7%. Seriously, 0.7%? Yeah. Well, that's how you play this game. You just got to alter the truth a little bit. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I was... I was See, thinking. I didn't factor in the point seven. That's why I considered that that a truth. Yeah. I was like one point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I well, see, I see how we're doing this. Yes. That's you know that's how we <laughs> operate here. All right. Second set of facts. First one: approximately three hundred billion gallons of water are used in the U.S. per day. Second fact: nearly one half of the water used by Americans is for the. Th- uh, I'm gonna mess this up thermoelectric power generation. Third fact, in one year, the average American uses over 100,000 gallons of water both inside and outside their house. You want to go first on this one? I'm going to, I have no idea how much the hydro, I mean, power plants use, and it could be a big number like that. Most people use between 100 and 150 gallons per person per day. So that third number seems high because it's, you're talking times a thousand in 
a day is only 300 days in a year. So I'm going to guess that the third one is wrong. I'm going to say there's some fuzzy math there. I'm going to say the third one is not the lie. I'm going to say the thermo power or something or other. <laughs> All right. Well, you're both wrong again. Yeah, uh, beautiful. <laughs> I agree. Um, so the first one is wrong. It's actually 400 billion gallons of water are used in the U.S. per day. All right, last set of facts that we have. We're doing good. Yeah. yeah. Betting yeah. zero. Hey, you can redeem yourself now. Hey, if we're one for three, that gets us in the Hall of Fame uh, in Major League Baseball. If you have a career average, we'll be, we'll be okay. Let's yeah, so fine. this is, yeah, you're in a good spot. We can redeem. You're in a good spot. So first fact, in one day, 200 million work hours are spent by women collecting waters for their families around the world. Second fact, uh, second fact if you took a third of the money spent – on bottled water throughout the world for a year, you would have enough money to provide water to all that needed across the world right now. Third fact, unsafe water kills 100 children every hour. There's a th- your first part was t- time poverty, the idea of women and, and kids spending so much of their day, so much of their time walking to get to get the water. And the sicknesses that the unsafe water and the waterborne diseases are causing are keeping the kids out of school and they're keeping the, the, those dealing with it. So time poverty is measured at 40 billion hours a year. So your first number, I, I don't know if the math's exactly right, but I think that first number is pretty close. I think that third number of 100 per hour, per minute? Per, yeah, per hour. Is too low. I think it's far too low. Yeah, I was going to agree. Okay. Uh, with the same rationale. Okay. Well, I'm happy to inform you all. Y'all have made it into the, made <laughs> the, the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, the third number was off. It is 200 kids every hour is killed by unsafe water. So double that. I just think, I mean, I don't think you can gloss over that enough. I mean, so we, you bring these facts as, you know, the funny bone of Christ. And I think it's definitely humorous to, to figure out where the lies. But – to be able to think as the three of us could just walk down the hall and even get out of the tap in the bathroom, even though it may not taste good because the minerals and Houston pipes and blah. But the fact is we don't have to worry about that. In my career, this is one of the things that keeps me going. When I started in the 1990s looking at international water, one in eight, a, a child was dying every eight seconds from a water-borne disease, and any children dying. I'm not, I'm not glossing over the fact of, of the impact on children and the extreme difficulty of extreme diarrhea has on kids. But it was um, one every eight seconds. Now it's like one every 23 seconds. So we're, it's not acceptable yet. Three a minute is not acceptable. But it's going the right direction, and it's taking the world community working together to go in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, uh, <laughs> this we call this funny bit of Christ because looking at these facts, I mean, it kind of blew my mind the other day of, like, you know, just the numbers behind it. There is a lot of need in the world right now for water, and I think it is kind of – I mean, it blows your mind to think, like, you know, the U.S. uses 400 billion gallons of water every day, and there are people out there who don't have water. And – well, to think in in the time that we're recording this podcast, there'll be two hundred very real children that will pass away because of of water related disease or lack of 
with clean water. And those are 200 real people. And I think that's the hard part for people is that you see these numbers and you don't think of real people. You see them as statistics when, I mean, and that's where I think, like you were talking about earlier with the short-term mission, whenever you can actually go and you can see these people who are affected by that, like it becomes so much more real as it should be. And that's whenever, I mean, like it's hard not to experience that and not come back and feel passionate and want to get involved in more ways. Cause I just think, you know, us as humans, especially as Christians, like we are, we have the love of Christ in us that we want to pour out. We want to help people around us. You know, I think it's that taking that step of turning the statistics into actual people and not just seeing them as statistics. Cause I think these numbers get thrown around a lot and, you know, I think people know this and will say this, but then you just don't think of it yeah. as those real people, which I think is huge. Can I share something? Yeah. This is a story from one of the water wells drilled by Chapelwood UMC team in Guatemala just last year. And this is a story f- from one of the people who live in the village. And it's co- these are her words. Water was a big word in Mazagua. And it was because of the need of it. I have one hand-dug well at home. The walls are always collapsing and making the water dirty. We used to buy water at the stores, and it was not cheap. Each water jar was expensive, and it only lasted one day. I have grandkids living with me, and they were always saying that they didn't want to drink my water because it tasted bad. They got sick this past year, and we don't have a health center that could attend to them. So we had to go to the center that is almost an hour away. My little granddaughter almost died because of the illness from water contamination. Again, this is a well that Chapelwood put in. Here's how she closes. It didn't help much that the school did not teach hygiene to the children. At home, we would warn them to wash their hands but at school it was not enforced. However, now that there was a well near the school and the Chapelwood volunteers taught hygiene training, things have changed. The well and the training will change the lives, health, and knowledge of the children. That's signed by Maria Esther Lopez Santos, a 52-year-old housewife from Mazagua, Guatemala. Great story, thanks for sharing that. Gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it really does. I think it's a it's a good transition into this third part of the interview where we're talking about living water. I just kind of want to start off with what is living water? Like, give us more of a picture of living water goes into these communities in Guatemala, like where Chapelwood's involved, and other places. What does that process look like to from getting involved with the community to drilling the well? How does that work? What is living water's process on that? Let's divide it up into two different styles. We have a style that we work with for those countries and those places where we have volunteers come in and and work with us. And then, but most of the work that we do, the 17 countries that we work in, about 11 of them are done by, all the work is done by national teams. We don't have volunteers getting involved with those projects. There, we buy the equipment that's needed to do the job right. Um, They tend to be bigger, more truck-mounted drill rigs, drill rigs can that can punch harder rock that can go deeper that we can get a bigger supply of water to the village and we work in that district for a a length of time it might be four years five years seven years until we know that 90 percent of the people in that village 
have long-term sustainable access, that they know how to repair the wells, that their health is being improved, that the local church is using the church leaders are becoming the people doing the hygiene training, setting up the village water committees, teaching people how to repair and maintain it. We are want long-term impacts in an area, and so we are investing long-term in these areas, and whether that's India or most of our, in Africa, we're in Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Ethiopia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia, Sierra Leone. We're all over the place, but it's a long-term impact there. Mm. Our volunteer trips are there because people keep asking us to do volunteer trips. And we do over 200 volunteer trips every year, and we love having Chapelwood UMC involved there. We have quite a few from the Houston area that get involved. And they're the, it's the volunteers working that are focusing on drilling the well and teaching the hygiene. They'll develop a relationship with the kids. They'll kick the soccer ball around. They'll help doing the, the games with the students. They will, the hygiene training is a great way for women-to-women interaction. And the celebration during the dedication just breaks everybody's heart because you already fall in love with the people. So those two different styles, one is a, a six-day tr- in-country program. The other is a five-year program that we're working for our long-term partnership. Yeah, and so obviously there's the volunteer trip. Churches have individuals who are engaged and involved and in leadership put eyes on what is it we're really partnered with. Uh, Because there's obviously a financial component. Um, Wells are not free. It requires an investment. It requires the right equipment. It requires the the individuals with the know-how to actually do it. And so that is a component. And Chapelwood, I, I know for a while, uh, has been a, a supported financial partner with Living Waters. It's, it's only been within the last few years, I believe, that we've actually had volunteers go on the, uh, on the trips. Chapelwood's, you're right, Chapelwood's been in, involved financially for more than 15 years. And we thank you for that partnership. And trips, you started going on trips in 2006, and you have gone on 11 project trips, including one that's scheduled for November of this year to Guatemala. So the long-term partnership is both financial and trips, and this most recent donation, a very generous $10,000 to help us buy a brand-new drill rig, a much-needed drill rig for Guatemala. So so the, the rig that would, the drill rig that was purchased last year through Chapwood's gift for Guatemala. How many wells will that be able to, to drill? Figure a, cup, figure a cup, a hundred to 200 wells over a lifetime. Oh, wow. And figure between 100 and 400 people per village. Uh, for a church like Chapwood to be able to offer opportunities that encourage folks to respond as well as enough opportunities that really leverage the gifts and the passions, I think that's a beautiful thing. But then you have these examples that, I mean, truly, it's it's encouraging. It gives courage to others to step up and also seek. You have the uh, the folks serving for backpacks with uh, blessings in a backpack on the elementary school level, and and so then what is God calling? Them? And really being able to understand, well, well, why? Because I do believe that God calls each and every one of us as baptized believers in the body of Christ, we are called into ministry, and that ministry looks different. And I think it's interesting to think of 
it's out of the waters of baptism. It's out of the waters that we experience this adoption into God's family, but we also experience this call into ministry. And throughout our life, God reveals, right? God reveals these gifts. God reveals these passions. God reveals, you know, John, to you and your family that that fulfillment in being who the authentic self is, right? And in using these skills, using these trainings, that that is what the call that God has placed on each and every one of us looks like. But it's a different story for everybody. Mm -hmm. Which is why we're doing this podcast (laughs) is, you know, to bring in and talk to people about what their story's like. And people do what they're expected to do. And I'm really encouraged that you are setting a standard. You are setting a message out there that you're encouraging, you're helping people to get more involved with missions and outreach. Well, and I think that's the end goal of this podcast is obviously it's really awesome to sit down and talk about you know, how God's moving through your life and through Living Water and other organizations and other people's lives. But we're, we're really just trying to encourage the listener to go out and get involved, to find that why, to find their passion and find out where God's calling them to be plugged in. And, you know, that's, that's the end goal is that hopefully this will encourage them to do that and that they will see that, you know, it's not this special person that needs to be called. I mean, it's everyday people people who you know are just living their normal life who are trying to follow after god's will um as we wind down this interview i want to give you the chance and i think i told you this was obviously you work for living water international and y'all are doing a lot but for the people listening inform them how they can be supporting living water what living water has coming up that uh, maybe they should have on their calendars or you know what is needed for thanks for that opportunity no problem living water started here in houston in 1990 with with the goal of sharing clean, sustainable water and the love of Jesus and the word of Jesus wherever we go. And in that time, we've worked in, currently we're in 17 countries. We do something over a 1,000 water projects a year, of which about 200 of them are short-term trips. So one way to get involved and one way most churches hear about us is through our short-term trips. Wonderful, effective a focus on drilling the well, teaching the hygiene, and sharing the love of Jesus. Um, I encourage people to, to get involved with trips. A lot of churches hear about us w- through some of our campaigns and fundraising programs. Advent Conspiracy is a program that's an end-of-the-year Christmas time program started by pastors right here in Houston that a um, great way for churches to plug into and raise a focus and a combined gift that really makes a difference. We have fun things like Team Living Water. For those who like to run, like to bike as a group, we run the Houston Marathon together, and we do that under Team Colors, and that's we tend to have 150, 180 people running Team Living Water. A lot of fun doing that. A part of that is doing a, a long 250-mile three-day bike ride that is coming up at the end of September from Hill Country to Katy. Uh, We have a 5K that we do at the office in March for World Water Day. So lots of ways for people to get involved. We have VBS material. We have, if a church wants to get involved with a Lenten program or a Palm Sunday program or an Easter program, a lot of churches have Living Water as the charity of choice. But we are an effective and efficient way for people to get involved. The need is legitimate. Far too many 
people get sick and far too many children die from water-related diseases. The solution is long-term. We're moving into church mobilization and church leadership training. Um, that is a new area that we can use help from the church on. So lots of ways, and I encourage individuals and the church itself to grow in our partnership. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, John. Welcome back from the interview with John. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as me and Joseph did. I mean, it was just a really good conversation. Something I felt, I could almost feel like a little bit of the Holy Spirit moving there as we talked, just hearing about what God is doing throughout the world and what God's doing through John's life and through Living Water specifically. I think it was awesome and really encouraging for me to hear. Yeah, it, it's hard to, to hear the stories that John shared, both personal as well as the stories of impact with Living Water. And not ask the question of, well, what does that mean for me? Uh, I mean, we are, uh, we do live in a culture that that tends to turn inward and ask, how does this impact me? And my my thought and my hope is that as you reflect on on the words and the stories, that you would begin to ruminate over, what does this look like for me in my life, right? Because I've never come across a story both in the Bible or a story in modern day encounters when someone encountered the living God and left the same way. Uh, they la- they, you leave transformed. I don't know if you can, can leave the same way when you come in and encounter uh, the living God. And so uh, for me to, to call this uh, a, a Holy Spirit moment where we could see where God has been at work and is currently at work forces me to ask questions. Well, I, I can't leave the same. Now that I know what I know, now that I know it's out there, I, I can't leave the same, which I think is really the great opportunity for us as the church, right, is we can help provide opportunities for folks to say, okay, so you can't leave the same. Well, now what? In October, Houston Responds, partner with the restoration team, is holding this thing called Rebuild Fest. And it's just this call that their, their slogan is far from finished. There are people out there who have not moved back into their homes I mean, we're two years after the storm now, and I mean, it's just, you watch some of these videos, you hear some of these stories, and it's heartbreaking. And they're really, in the month of October, pushing to really come out strong and show Houston and show these people, we haven't forgotten about you. We're, st- we're still here for you. So you can go to www.therestorationteam.org. Yeah. S- someday, I believe, we'll get to the point where we will be able to say, uh, all of those impacted by Hurricane Harvey ha- have been uh, restored and are back into their home. Um, uh, until that time, there's a lot of work to be done. Also go to chapelwood.org and then go to ministries and go to serving, and we have a whole list of things, that opportunities we have, again, from local to national to global. Um, too many to list now. Get out there, discover your why. All right, so um, our call to action today as we end the podcast comes from Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on um, to the, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a scripture that I have used most of my life as a what I turn to and what I try to base my life off of is 
man, I might not know what I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> There's no question about it. I, you know, I'm lost at times. I am clueless at times. But the one thing I understand is that I go, I try to go where God calls me to go. And I forget what's happened in the past. And my eyes are fixed on him for that, for the desire of being called that he has put in me. And so, man, y'all, whatever God's putting on your heart, wherever you feel like God's bringing you, go. It might not be what you think it's going to be, but God provides in amazing ways and brings you to opportunities you didn't think would exist. And I think, you know, as we challenge you to go find your why, just have your eyes set on God and press forward in life. All right, well, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh, to be able to listen to, um, we are doing a little bit of different of a style. We are doing a roundtable discussion on Harvey, the work that's been done and the work that is continuing to be done by the restoration team. We're going to have Trevor Barnett on. Be ready to tune in. God bless. <laughs>